Today we are ending our series called Change Your Life in Three Easy Steps. And you might be like, but Louis, we already had three steps. So what is, what is this thing with step four? Like, shouldn't it be Change Your Life in Four Easy Steps? No, because we're not going to talk about a step this morning. We're going to talk about something else. But um, when we started this series, I told you about this bit of a sugar addiction I had when I was younger. Like, we, we lived in Springs, and I would go to this little corner cafe that had the most amazing ice cream straight from the factory. And every week, I would buy a five liter, and I would finish that five liter of ice cream every week. So I love ice cream. I love sweets. I love chocolates. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's so awesome. But then, as you grow older, you realize, like, you can't just keep going, right, because you develop your dad's tube. So I had to kind of like scale down on the sugar. But then what you start to do often is you, you make these little compromises. Say so like, okay, instead of eating ice cream every week, I'm going to now buy a tub like for once a month, and I'm going to finish it over the month. Or instead of eating a whole slab of chocolate every day, I'm going to do like two blocks every day. And then you do it for like a day, you eat the two blocks, and by tonight... Sugar has this amazing thing. It's got, it's got its own little voice. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but like when there's sugar in a house, it always goes like, eat me, eat me. And then I'm like, no, I don't want to. And it just keeps going louder until I go and I take this lab and I just finish that. So finally, I had to make this radical decision to sell like no more sugar in the house. Because if there's no sugar, there's no voices calling out my name. So I'm just like, then I ignore it. So it's so funny. Like, I will walk through the store. Yolani wants to put chocolate in. I put, it ba- I put it back into the shelf. You go home. There's no chocolate. There's no ice cream. There's no sugar. So then I don't eat it. But when it's there, I eat it. And that is the interesting thing. So many times in life, we, we will take a step or two to make a change in our life, Right? Whether it's a diet where you decide to do certain things or whether you decide to only eat two blocks of chocolate a day instead of a slab, we make these little decisions to take a step or two and we're like, this will help me change. But sometimes we struggle to change because we're not willing to make the radical change that is often needed in order to finally live the change that I was hoping for. So today our topic is not one of the steps. We've already talked about the steps, and I'm going to recap them now. But today our topic is act immediately and act radically. Because as human beings, there's this, um, the, this thing that just frustrates me so much. They call it procrastination. I don't know if you sometimes struggle with it as well. You know you have to do something, but you kind of like let it go for a day later or two days later, and then at the end of the day you never do it. And... Um, So procrastination is a real issue. And for for the last three weeks, this is what we spoke about. We said if you want true life change, and this is a series about our vision. Our vision is simple, connecting people to life-changing relationships. Why? We believe life change best happens within relationships. We don't do so good on our own because God created us to live in relationships. So we said the first step is if you truly want to experience life change, you have to connect with Jesus. Why? Because he is the only voice that's loud enough to move you from a place where your own human nature is going to tell you, like, don't change, just stay where you are, even if it hurts you, even if it hurts someone else. Jesus is the only voice loud enough to move us from a place of darkness to light, from a place of death to life. But we said there's a second step, and that is to build relationship. That's the in part of our vision. We have to build relationships with people that will keep us up when we feel weak, on, with people on whose faith we can rely when our own faith is not so strong. That's the retaining walls to our change. Jesus brings about life change, and our friends in Christ, our church, our community, not just crowds, 
not just connections on social media, but true authentic community. Those are the people who, who supply the retaining walls to keep this change active. They will, they will motivate you. They will carry you when you feel weak. And we said the third step you need to incorporate is expand the joy. That's the out part. We have to share the life change that we experience with other people in need of life change. Why? Because it will bring about the cycle in their lives. But sharing life change and then seeing someone else go through life change does something insane. It brings about a joy in, in me. They change, but I experience joy. And I, call, I can't always explain it. But we spoke about it last week. It's just this amazing joy when I see someone else change that I experience. So when I start to share my life change with other people, it brings fun, it brings joy into this process of life change. But today what I want to challenge myself on, what I want to challenge you on is we have to decide to act on this immediately and act radically. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to go through this series. By the way, if you missed any of them, they are on Facebook, they're on YouTube, they are on Spotify, they're on iTunes, they're on our website. All you have to do is wherever you are, just type in Proto Church, and all of that will pop up, and you can listen or watch any of these um, topics. But what we, what's going to happen is if you don't decide to act immediately and to sometimes act radically, this series will just be one of those things that goes in one ear and out the other ear by next week or the week after that. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to jump into a scripture of a man that also tried to implement some change in his life, but then finally Jesus asked of him to do something immediately and do something radically. And we're going to be talking about this this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open to Luke 18. It's also going to be on the screen. And let's read from... Luke 18, verse 18 to 30, and I'm reading from the New International Version. A certain ruler, or it can also be translated as a certain rich man, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what must I do to follow you? What must I do to experience life change? And then Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to this young man, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this then asked, but who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So Peter said to him, Jesus, we have left all we had to follow you. And truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brother or sister or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times in this age to come, many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. That's what we're going to read this morning. 
Because this is such an interesting story, and if, if you feel like you might be wealthy this morning and you're freaking out, you're like, is Luke going to say I have to become poor and give away all my money? Don't worry about that. And by the way, if you own a car, you have a house, and I can't remember what else, you're like already in the top 10 or 20% in the world. It's insane. So most people living in this community, compared to the world, we are very wealthy. You might not feel wealthy because you're probably comparing yourself to people who's got more than you. So you're like, no, actually, I'm poor. No, it's actually, unless you, you live like very close to the breadline, you are, are quite wealthy compared to the rest of the world. So, but if you're worried that I'm going to say give up all your money this morning, that's not what this is about. So don't worry. But what I want you to see is before we continue. Jesus, this man comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I want to implement some change in my life. I want to follow you. I want to be part of this journey of living out my purpose and plan that God has created for me. How do I do it? And Jesus literally goes and he quotes some of the Ten Commandments. Why? Because the Ten Commandments is literally the Ten Rules for our life that God gave Moses. God gave it to Moses himself. Why? Because God gave these rules to protect us from things that would hurt us. You don't want to be murdered. You don't want to be cheated on. You don't want to be lied to. Those are the basic rules God gave. So Jesus is literally quoting. He says, you shall not commit adultery. That is the seventh commandment. You shall not murder. That's the sixth commandment. You shall not steal. That's the eighth commandment. So Jesus just names his commandments. And what I want you to see is is something very interesting happens here. What Jesus starts out with is if you want to follow God, keep his law. But then in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, so in the Old Testament, we've got a summary of the Ten Commandments that Jesus repeats in the New Testament. And do you know what the summary of the Ten Commandments is? Jesus says it in one line. He says, this is what the Ten Commandments are about. Love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The Old Testament, New Testament is a little different, but it comes down to this. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. So let me break it down to you. Connecting to life-changing relationship up, a relationship with God where I love Him with everything I have, and with my neighbor as myself, in and out. Why did we split it into in and out? Because we know there's a different way that I'm going to act with my, my community here and the world outside. There's a different purpose that we see lived out in the church. So literally what Jesus is saying, what, and, and what we are saying is, if you want to live in God's purpose and plan, you have to keep God's Big commandment, to love God with everything you have and to love your neighbor, to live an up, in, and out life. It's that simple. So to implement step one, two, and three in your life. And this guy's like, but Jesus, that's what I'm doing. I've already implemented these steps in my life. I'm on this little boat, and I'm rowing, and like God is in this little boat. I decided to implement step one. Like my community's in this boat, step two, and I'm rowing, and I see someone in need, and I throw a, 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 a tube or something to them. So that's step three. I'm sharing it. So, so I'm in this boat, and I'm well on my way to the horizon. But then with one line, Jesus is like, no, dude, wait, wait, wait. You might be in this boat, but there is a hole in your boat that is bringing your boat down, that's filling it with water, that will make your boat sink, although you implemented some of these steps in your life. And what is that? And from the story, there's two huge lessons that I learned, two problems why we struggle to truly implement change in our life. And the first problem that I see is that true change will never happen if it needs to be on our own terms. True change will never happen if it needs to be on our own terms. This man wanted to change. 
He's like, I want to follow you, Jesus, but it needs to be on my terms. There's certain things that I want to hold on to. There's certain things that I don't want to do. There's certain things that, that I, I will follow Jesus if I can continue to do this. Here's the interesting part about Christianity. When you ask people outside of the faith, there might be some people who might say it's a radical faith, a radical religion. But not a lot of people would call Christianity radical. And if you're an insider to Christianity, if you've been a Christian your whole life, you will definitely not describe Christianity as radical because we have no law of a holy war. We don't have to pray certain prayers at the exact time of the day, five times a day, facing in the right direction. We don't have a thousand and something laws that determine what we can do and cannot do on the Sabbath. We don't have to catch arrows as being shot at us. We don't have to live our whole life somewhere in, in a building with a couple of other men and women separated from the rest of the world to just dedicate ourselves to our religion. So we're like, no, no, Christianity is not radical. It's actually the easygoing one. Because that kind of thought process where we believe that our faith is not radical leads to a place where we want to follow Jesus on our own terms instead of on his terms. Christianity is actually very radical because where a lot of religions of the world will work on what is on the outside of you, Christianity shoots right at the heart. Every time Jesus spoke, he, he took everything that people thought to do and he just took it like one step deeper. And it is actually a very radical faith. But if we believe it's not radical, if we're like, no, but I don't need to make immediate and radical changes in my life, you will always be at a place where you want to follow Jesus on your own terms. I will follow Jesus as long as I do not have to tithe or share about Jesus or attend church every Sunday, or as long as I don't have to stop this particular sin in my life that I like. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it is it is, it is something else. Maybe it's an addiction that you want to don't let go of. I will, I will serve Jesus. I will follow Jesus as long as I don't need to be faithful to my spouse or as long as I don't have to give up my sport. And I'm talking to the wrong crowd today, but it's like I will follow Jesus as long as I don't have to go to church when there's a rugby game on, right? I will follow Jesus as long as I don't have to spend time with him every day. As long as I don't have to set my watch a little earlier to get up in the morning, or if I don't have to serve, then I'll follow Jesus, or I will follow him as long as I'm comfortable. You see, that is when we're trying to serve Jesus on our own terms, and that is what this man tried to do. It is like saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop eating sugar. I made the decision, but there's a slab in the cupboard just in case I need it. That's why we struggle to change, because we're like one foot in and one foot out. That's what Jesus was literally saying to this man. Like, you have to make a decision to be all in. You can't be like one foot in, one foot out. And Jesus has a serious issue with this. In Revelation 3.16, Jesus literally sends a word to the church of Laodicea, and he tells them, you've got a problem. You are not warm. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. You're not both feet in or both feet out, like one foot in, one foot out, you're lukewarm, and Jesus says, I hate that, I want to spit you out. He's like, it cannot be on your own terms. I know what you might be thinking, but Matt, I'm new to this thing, and I already decided to implement some steps. They're like, what? Can't I just like do those steps and like add some, like add them to my life, and then like slowly but surely as I'm adding things on, I will change. 
You probably can do that, but that's like deciding you're going to eat, stop eating sugar, and then all you do is you start adding some salt, and you're like, no, the more salt I add, the less sugar I will eat, so sometimes it will just disappear. It doesn't work like that. We've got a radical faith where Jesus is like, you have to make a decision to follow me on my terms and not on your terms. And I think that's why we struggle to change, because we're like this young man. We're like, Jesus, we will follow you. We will keep all these commandments as long as we don't have to do this one thing. And where does this problem come from? And this is the second problem that I see. This issue where we want to follow Jesus on our own terms comes from a deeper heart condition. And this is something I do not want to acknowledge. This is something I do not want to agree to. It's something I do not want to face because it's a truth that is so hard and that's, that just like shoots an arrow so deep at my own heart. And that is we, true change will never happen as long as you idolize the wrong things. You know what the, the definition is of the word idol? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says idol is an object of extreme devotion. An idol is not a little, a, lot, a little object that you carve out of wood or stone, a little fat man or something that you put somewhere on, on a mantle in your house and you pray to that thing every day and you put a little food out for it and whatever. It's not necessarily a false god like the way we think about it. An idol is anything that becomes an object of the stream devotion. So this is another way that I try to process this. An idol is anything that occupies too great of a space in your life. This young man had an idol as well, and that was his money, his wealth. He couldn't let go of his wealth. How does Jesus have an issue with money? No, he doesn't. In fact, throughout the Old and the New Testament, there are specific people that specifically named for the fact that God blessed them. Abraham was one of them, and God said, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. King David was blessed with wealth. Solomon was blessed with wealth. Jesus had a, a grave that he was buried in before his resurrection because of a follower of Jesus that was really wealthy. So Jesus doesn't have an issue with money. Jesus has an issue with the fact that this man decided to put money in the position that was supposed to be occupied by God. And we all do this, guys. His money was more important to him than God. And I want to ask you today to truly consider and think about why you might be struggling with life change. And you and I know what we need to change. But maybe it's because there's some things in your life that are more important to you than God. And we don't want to acknowledge it. And we will never actively even think about it. But like deep inside our hearts, we know there's things we hold on to. And if Jesus was here right now and he would point that thing out, I would struggle to let it go. You know what some of the hardest things for me? It's overworking. I'm a bit of an overachiever. I am so afraid that anyone will ever think I'm lazy. And I'm, I really want to achieve great things with my life. I want to achieve success. And you're like, hey, that's not an idol. Yes, it can become an idol. You can work and you can strive and you can try to achieve success so much and you can try to, to show the world that you're not lazy to such an extent that you don't have the time for your family that God asked you to spend time with. You can strive to achieve success so much that you forget that there's things that is more important in life than your work. There's things more important in life than your successes. That you are more, 
Your identity is in a different place than your successes. What is that one thing where you would say, like, I will follow Jesus as long as I don't need to let go of this thing? That thing might be idle in your life. I think we live in a time in the world where one of the biggest idols we ever worship is ourselves. And the selfie culture, I think, is just like such a a mirror to look in and, and see like how people idolize and worship themselves. All the money spent on, on me. Everything is about me and how people perceive me and whether people think I'm successful and whether people think I'm good and whether people think I'm beautiful. But there's so much stuff that can become an idol in our life. Your sin can become an idol, something you don't want to let go of. Your house can become an idol. Your car can become an idol. There's so much stuff that we don't want to let go of because it's too important for us. If Jesus was here this morning, as Jesus was there in that moment with that young man and he walked up to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to give everything to you. And Jesus is like, implement these steps in your life. And he's like, yes, I've done that. And then Jesus said, but there's one hole. There's one thing you value above all else. If Jesus was here this morning, what would that one thing be that he would point out in in your life? Because let me tell you, each one of us have at least one. If you think you don't have one this morning, the problem is not not that you're so good. It's that you're so blind that you don't know you've got idols. We all have idols. We all have them. What is your thing that Jesus would have said, you need to cut this in order to change? But we will never truly change unless we're willing to do it on God's terms. We will never truly change unless we're willing to let go of that one thing that is so important to us. True change probably will require immediate and radical action. You see, Jesus looks at this young man and he's like, there's one thing you need to do and that is go and sell everything now. Take immediate action. Because if I give you a span of time where you're kind of gonna let this fade out, it will never happen. Take immediate action, do this now and do something radical, go and sell everything and give everything you have to the poor. And in some of the other, so, so this story appears in three of the Gospels. So three of the books, it tells us a story about the life of Jesus. And in two of the others, it says that the man turned around and he was sad because he was wealthy and he walked away. Luke is the shortest version, so it doesn't share that bit where it says he walked away. But you can figure it out. He walked away, right? And what is crazy to me is this. This man is facing Jesus. He's talking to Jesus. Jesus is telling him, let this go. And this is his This is his decision. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to turn my back on Jesus because I'm not willing to let this go. And do you know what's even crazier to me? We do not read that Jesus ran after this man. We do not read that Jesus forced him to let go of the stuff that was important to him. Because God will never force you to let go of anything in your life. Because he wants you to choose him out of a love relationship. You see, a king can come and he can force you to to worship him. He can force you to to be one of his subjects by taking more taxes and by having a big army and all of those things. But people will always hate a king, will always hate a president that's a tyrant. People will always love the person who loves them and they can love them back. A good king, a good president, someone who truly cares for his people. 
And you see, God doesn't want to force us to follow him. That's why he gave us a free will. He wants you to choose to love him. He wants you to choose to have a relationship with him. Because only in that love relationship where you love God and where he loves you, only there life change can truly happen. This man decided to let the immediate action go. He decided to let the radical action go. And instead, he decided to turn his back on the change he would have experienced with Jesus. And I said earlier that Christianity is actually quite a radical faith. And you might have thought, like, no, Louis, it isn't. Like, we can kind of do what we want, right? We pray when we want. We go to church when we want. There's nothing happening to us. We're good. I want to read you something. And this is Jesus' own words in Matthew 5. The biggest sermon Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? Jesus talks about almost every topic you can think of. And this is how, can I say this with respect? This is how crazy Jesus sometimes got. Okay? Jesus is like, let's just put this out there. Matthew 5, verse 29. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus says, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You see, Jesus asked this young man not to give away his money because Jesus has an issue with money. That was not the standard answer Jesus gave people. His standard answer wasn't give everything away. But Jesus asked this man to let go of the one thing that prevented him from following Jesus 100%. Jesus asked him, do something radical, because if you don't, if you can't do something radical, you will never truly follow me. And I think that is something we settled into in South Africa and in America and in Europe, is that we can follow God on our terms. We don't have to be radical. I can kind of like do it the easy way, and then we don't understand why we never truly change. We don't understand why 60%, 70% of a country calls themselves Christian, but there's chaos all around us. It doesn't make sense. It's because we stopped being radical. It's, it's because we, we, we stopped going to this place. We just said, like, chop off your hand if it's, if it's bothering you. Let me tell you what this practically means. It might mean that you have to quit a job if there's someone at your workplace that you're having an inappropriate relationship with and you know that's going to lead to an affair. You might have to quit that job. It might mean that you have to throw away your computer Or that you have to install an app on your phone to prevent you from looking at porn because you can't let go of that on your own. Or that you have to share it with someone who helps you to go through that. It might mean that you have to put down the bottle of alcohol, pour all of that down the drain, and make a decision to never take another sip of it again because it keeps controlling your life. It might mean that you have to set your alarm clock an hour earlier. How radical is that? So that you can get some time in for coffee and to spend time with God. Like the first ones were easy, right? Like an hour earlier, like, come on, dude. What are you talking about? It might, means, it might mean that you have to stop being selfish, that you have to stop spending everything on yourself and only care about yourself and only about what you have and start looking outside of yourself to other people that is in need of Jesus so badly. The disciples listen to this story and they are freaked out, okay? They just put it out straight. They're like, but Jesus, then who can be saved? Like, seriously, if we have to be that radical, it's impossible. Like, we're goners. We will never be saved. And then Jesus says his amazing words in verse 26. He says, you know what? It's probably impossible for you. Because 
you idolize that thing because it's so important in your life because it occupies so much space in your life. It's probably almost impossible for you to put it down, to let it go. But Jesus says, what is impossible for man is possible for God. So Jesus is literally saying, if you look to God and you make the decision to let go of that, if you make the decision to stay in the, to, to keep heading in the direction of Jesus instead of turning away, Jesus is saying, like, God will help you to push through that. God will help you to go through it. You're not in this alone. You don't fight your battles on your own. If you make that decision to do something radical for Jesus, you're not on your own. Peter is like, Jesus, but we already made big decisions. We already did radical things. And let me ask you something. Were the disciples perfect? No, they weren't. Like, Peter was a crazy dude. I sometimes struggle to figure out if I'm more like Peter or a little bit more like Paul. But Peter was, was wild, man. Like, when they tried to, to, to capture Jesus, he just pulls out his sword. He starts chopping off ears. When his life was in danger, he's like, no, I don't know, Jesus. Like, he just fought for Jesus. He just chopped people's ear off. And now it's like five seconds later. No, I don't know, Jesus. Half of the disciples weren't even at the cross because they were too afraid. Half of the time they were fighting about who's most important, whose selfie is better, like who's going to sit next to Jesus in heaven. That's literal like fights going on in the Bible between the disciples. And then they bring their parents in, and the parents get to Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, who's more important? Like, this son of mine or, or the other disciples. They weren't perfect, and you and I will never be perfect, but this is what made the disciples so unique. They weren't afraid to be radical. They made mistakes over and over again. But when Jesus said, follow me, they said, we're going to leave our fishing nets. When Jesus said, follow me to Matthew, he said, I'm going to leave my tax collection job. When Jesus said, follow me, and they made mistakes, they knew how to go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Peter broke down and cried after Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, whoa, I denied Jesus three times. They were so radical, although they weren't perfect. And this is the amazing part of being radical for Jesus, about not... Allowing stuff in your life to take the place that God is supposed to have in your life. About making that decision that I'm not going to be one foot in, one foot out. About making the decision that I'm going to be hot and not lukewarm. Jesus says the reward will be greater than the sacrifice. It is so beautiful. Jesus promises this reward where he says there will be more, so much more. He says no one who has left his his wife or his brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom. No one who gave his idol. No one who stopped to leave that sin behind. No one who decided to quit the job because it, it, it was tearing their marriage apart. No one who decided to get up an hour earlier will fail to receive many times as much in this age. And in the age to come eternal life. Just like... You know what? If you are willing to be radical for me, you can trust me that I will be radical about you. That's what Jesus is saying. Like if you're willing to step out of your comfort zone, when you're willing to step out of that and into God's plan for your life, into His purpose for your life, not only will things actually start to change, not only will, will you actually start to experience that your life is heading somewhere, that you've got a new identity, that you've got a new beginning, but Jesus is like, I will give back to you Everything you have to give up for me, more than you can ever imagine. And Jesus is like, and this is the greatest reward. There's eternity waiting for you. 
an eternity in a place more beautiful than you and I can ever imagine. A place where Jesus says there's no more tears, no more sickness. Where we are forever in light, not because there's a sun, but because we're physically in, in the light of Jesus. Like if you're willing to be radical for me, Jesus says, I will be radical for you. So I want to ask you this morning, what is still preventing you from changing? Jesus is your first step and is your last step. He's the one who empowers you to make change, the first change in your life. But he's also the one who empowers you to finally, when you decide this is all in, he's also the one who gives you the ability to let go of what was holding you back. You can't do this on your own. You need your community. You need to share it with other people. But what is preventing you from going all in? What is preventing you from living a life of purpose? What's preventing you from living in your identity that you have in Jesus Christ? Maybe it's your achievements. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's time. I don't know. But don't let stupid idols prevent you from living a life that can be so much more amazing than we can ever imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to live my life one foot in and one foot out. I don't want to live my life where where you're part of it, where you're an add-on. This life is hard enough to figure out. It's hard enough to figure out who I am, that I don't need to develop a split identity. I want to have my identity and my purpose rooted in you. I don't want to continue struggling for change for the rest of my life. I don't want to go through the same stuff every day. I want your burden on my shoulders. I want a burden that is light and soft instead of my own heavy one. I pray this morning, Jesus, that you would point out to each one of us the things that we still idolize above all else, the things that are still preventing us from going all in, the things that are still preventing us from turning towards you and going after you 100%. Well, there's so much noise, so much distraction in this world. I pray that you just bring calmness and quiet. That in that quietness, we can find you. Amen. You know what I love about my God?